0: are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve both. And now, let's listen in to this week's sermon. If you would, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. So what we're going to do, we are putting our study of the Luke's gospel, we're just hitting the pause button for two weeks, this week and next week and then on the 11th we're going to get back to going through luke's gospel but this morning i want to look at mark chapter 11. we're going to be kind of anchored there but we're going to go to some different places but basically what is happening is jesus is about to enter the final week of his life on this earth now he is alive today this is here on this earth and so what he does is he comes to a town which is east of Jerusalem called Bethany and Bethpage. And what he does is he sends out two of his disciples to go and get a donkey. You may be thinking, wow, that's, that's kind of weird. But he goes and tells them to get this donkey, go across the Kidron Valley. Now what's interesting about this, this is a wild and, or an unbroken donkey. You may be thinking, well, a horse is that of royalty, but a donkey is the sign of a servant. That's not true. Because in 1 Kings, donkeys were fit for kingdom work. So this was not, "Eh, we didn't have a horse, let's just find this. So what happens is Jesus mounts on top of this donkey. The people begin to do something. They take palm branches and they start paving his way. Mason got the approval of Tom Doty, so that's that's a win right there. So that's what they were shouting. They were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now here's what's interesting. If you're a word nerd like me, I love the text of scripture. Luke's gospel says something unique about what they were shouting. Said, Hosanna, the King, is here. The King is here. He's the only author of one of the four gospels who mentions the king right there. So here we are in in Mark chapter 11. You have Jesus coming in with palm branches. And I want you to pick this up in verse number nine with me. So we're in Mark 11, verse nine. It says, then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's where I was talking about Luke's gospel is a little bit different. It said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Verse number 10, blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now that word Hosanna means save now our salvation is here now there's a lot of people who are interested in jesus during this time you have people who are following jesus for the right reasons which is that he is the lord he is the one who saves you have those who are kind of wishy-washy a little bit they're like eh, I don't dislike the guy, but we'll still kind of follow him around and see what he has to say. Then you have those who very much dislike him, who are against everything that he stands for, everything that he is doing. Verse number 11 says, And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things... At the hour was already late, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So what did he do? He rode on this donkey from Bethany, which is east of Jerusalem, east of the temple. You cross down the Kidron Valley, then up the side to Jerusalem to the temple. So what did he do? He got on the donkey over here, goes down the valley, up into the temple in Jerusalem and says, well, it's kind of late. He looks around. Then he comes back to Bethany with his 12. So you may be thinking, okay, well, that seems like kind of a waste of a trip. If we're looking at it in the earthly sense, possibly. But we're looking at this in a spiritual sense. Again, the message today is the arrival of the king. The king has arrived. I want to, if you would, follow me over to, towards the end of the Old Testament, we're going to be looking at the prophet Zechariah and we're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10 now the prophet Zechariah when he was under divine inspiration when he was writing this he didn't fully understand who this king would be that he was talking about so this is Zechariah 9 verse 9 it says rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion shout O daughter of Jerusalem behold your king is coming to you and he is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey A colt, the foal of a donkey. This is several hundred years prior to the life of Christ. Verse number 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. Listen to this. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. That is who under divine inspiration, the the prophet Zechariah was talking about the king that was to come. So here we have Jesus, not in a metaphorical sense, but in a fulfilling of prophecy, rode on this donkey into Jerusalem, fulfilling that of Zechariah the prophet. Now, the reason this is so awesome, I want you to stick with me on this. There are two reasons why It's important that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 9. Number one, he declared himself Israel's king and Messiah. He said, Old Testament experts, you guys read this stuff all the time. There is going to be one bringing salvation, a king who is riding into town on a donkey. As your prophet Zechariah said, that is me. So he declares himself Israel's king and Messiah. Number two, he challenged the religious leaders and the corrupt institution. Because when they heard him or saw him do this, they were like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't know who you think you are. We are waiting on the Messiah, a king, a warrior, to come and deliver us from these oppressive Romans. We're looking for the guy with big guns and you know, military strength like King Saul. That's what we're waiting on. They're like, I don't know who you think you are. But Jesus is the king. He is the Messiah. He just wasn't what they were expecting. Also, here's, here's an interesting point. Jesus was not the first king to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Anybody know who was? King Solomon, looking in 1 Kings chapter 1 later today. Now, here's why this is so, so awesome. Jesus' disciples, his apostles, his 12, they were pretty good at Old Testament, let's call it, uh, history, understanding, and, and that sort of thing. Jump with me over to John chapter 12. This is the Apostle John's gospel account of what is happening during this, what they call the triumphal entry, Jesus's entry into Jerusalem on the donkey, him fulfilling that of the prophecy of Zechariah in the Old Testament. So look at John chapter 12, we're gonna look at verse 16. We're not gonna rehash the story, but I just wanna point out John 12, 16. This is after the people began to shout that Hosanna, Hosanna, the King is here. Look at verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things which were written about Him and that they had done these things to Him. They were like, what in the world is going on? People are laying down their clothes in front of this donkey, which you need to understand, it's not like modern day. If I were to rip off my clothes and put them in front of something, I would be naked, right? Which no one wants to see that. Um, But what they would do is they would take their outer garments, like their coat, their sweatshirt, if you will, uh, things like that, and they would lay that down as Jesus was riding, along with the palm branches Because the equivalent of that is modern day, we roll out the red carpet for a VIP. That's what that was. They were showing their humility, laying down these pieces of clothing, as well as these palm branches to signify the arrival of this, probably the best VIP ever. So his disciples didn't realize what was happening at first. And then they're like, oh, remember? Remember? We were reading Zechariah the other day. This is the same thing. Oh, and light bulbs, hopefully 12 light bulbs, went off with his apostles. They're like, okay, we know that this guy's the Lord, but now he is confirming all of these different things. So again, they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means it is a shout of praise, and it is save now. Salvation is here the King and the Messiah has arrived. Now there's a a big myth out there that the same people who are shouting Hosanna Hosanna, the King has arrived, were the same people shouting crucify him, crucify him just a few days later. That is not the case because who wanted Christ to die? The religious people. These people who are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, are sympathetic to the cause of Christ. They were the ones who were following him. Those are from geographically the Galilean region, which is up north of Jerusalem, the everyday people. They were the ones who were following Christ. And also you have him coming for uh, Passover. So all of these people were in Jerusalem at the time The ones who were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, were the Sanhedrin. They were the religious types who thought that they had a lock on religion. So these were not the same people. So that covers Sunday. And what we're going to do is we're going to, I jokingly refer to this as water skiing. We're not going to get very deep, but we're just going to glance over the rest of the events of Holy Week. So on Monday, Jesus goes in and cleanses the temple. If you would turn to Mark chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17. Mark 11:15. So this is Jesus cleansing the temple. This is what happened on Monday. So this is Mark 11 starting in verse 15. He says so they came to Jerusalem then Jesus went out into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. And let's let's pause right there. There's a couple things to point out. They went into the temple, and so simply put, you have different layers, different areas of the temple, starting with the Holy of Holies, that's only the religious priests on a rotation were allowed to be in the presence of the Lord. Then you have the rest of the temple, which only religious Jews were allowed in. Then you had the Temple of Women, and then you had the Temple of the Gentiles, or the courts. Let's call them courts. So here you have in the temple itself, people buying and selling different things. And the reason the doves are so important is because you could buy a dove for pretty much the equivalent of a penny. The average commoner, low income, poor person could afford a dove. They could spend a penny and get a dove to bring for the sacrifice. So Jesus sees this, what happens is he begins, he begins to drive them out, those who bought and sold in the temple, and overturn the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who sold doves. He went and he ran them out of there. What did he say? Look at verse 16, verse 17, sorry. Then he taught, saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? but you have made it a den of thieves. You have taken what was pure and corrupted it. Greed had taken over. Here's what's interesting. When you think about a den of thieves, that's where thieves go to get away to do their dirty stuff. They want to do so in in uh, not silence uh, in quiet. They want to do their evil deeds, not in front of everyone, but they go and do their, their dirt, let's call it, their dirt. They go in and do that together. But what Jesus does is he calls them out. They were there to exploit people under religious pretense, saying, "Look how holy we are. But hey. This is for sale hey you want to buy some of this it's for sale because greed is at their heart and so I want to ask these two questions is the modern church today selling religion do we come to church out of habit or do we come to worship the true God together Why do we come to church? I just want you to think on those two questions. Okay, fast forward to the next day, Tuesday. There's a couple of things that happen. Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, came to the temple. The Sanhedrin were there to really examine him, kind of see what was in his heart. They challenge him on several different topics, and of course, Jesus being the Lord, he takes them to school on each of those things. He teaches about things, the parable of the fig tree, he predicts the destruction of Jerusalem and his ultimate return, which is found in Matthew 24, all of that takes place on this Tuesday. Now, the Sanhedrin, these priests, were looking at Jesus like, okay, I want to see what this guy is all about, and he is just mopping the floor with these guys see the parallel to this jesus as the lamb of god is a little lamb that was going to be slaughtered was brought in and it was examined by the priest they would check and make sure it didn't have any blemish any spots anything like that physically they would look and you know check the ears and do all of this kind of stuff they would inspect that sacrifice before it was ready to go. Metaphorically, you have the Sanhedrin looking at Jesus. He was being inspected as the perfect Lamb of God. They just didn't know it. Amen. So what else happens on Tuesday? Mary anoints him in Bethany. Again, going, actually I'm doing this for the online crowd as well. Going east, you go down the side of the temple, up into the Kidron Valley, up into Bethany. He goes back there, that was kind of home base. You have Mary who anoints his feet in Bethany. But also something very, very interesting happens. Judas agrees to betray Jesus. He said, for 30 pieces of silver, I will betray him. Nothing is recorded that happens on Wednesday, at least that we can tell from Scripture. A lot of people think because it was the Passover time that they began to prepare for Passover, both spiritually and physically. Because on Thursday, Jesus celebrates Passover with his apostles. That's where we get communion and the Last Supper, the very famous painting. All of that happens on that Thursday. But something very, very interesting happens at the table. I want you to jump over just a couple of pages to Mark chapter 14, and we're going to look at verse 17. Now, I want you to, before we read this, I want you to be reminded that these 12, let's, let's take Judas out of the mix because he's kind of a dirtbag. So these 11 have followed Jesus faithfully for approximately three years they believe that he is god in human form the same god who can calm the seas who can raise the dead they have seen miracle after miracle after miracle they believe that he is who he says he is but watch this mark chapter 14 verse 17. in the evening he came with the 12 talking about his apostles now they sat and ate jesus said assuredly i say to you One of you who eats with me will betray me. Look at verse 19. And they began to be sorrowful, and they said to him, One by one, is it me or is it I? And another said, is it I? Meaning I have the best intentions of following you, Lord, yet I still have it in me, deep inside of me, to betray you. It could be me. Why? Because I'm imperfect. I still have that inside of me. I love you with all of my heart, Lord, but I still have it in me to betray you, to toss you aside for something else. I thought that was amazing when you look at that because guess how many of the 12 are going to abandon Jesus? If you answer 12, you're right. All of them forsook him and fled. When the going got tough, tough didn't get going. They, they tuck-tailed and they ran. They abandoned him. Even Peter denied him three times. It says that he began to swear up and down that third time, I have no idea who this man is. And he abandoned Jesus, this man that he followed for three years, he bought into everything that he was saying, yet he still betrayed our Lord. That means we are human, we are prone to error of sinful things, even us who follow Christ. It's still in us and that's the the amazing process of sanctification Holy Spirit, cleanse me. Get all of this nastiness inside of me. Make me clean and make me pure because my intentions are to follow you each and every day. That's what we desire from our Lord. And lastly, what happens on Thursday is Jesus goes and he begins to pray in the garden, again on that eastern slope of the Kidron Valley, I have been there and I have prayed in this garden known as Gethsemane. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It is exactly what you picture. It is so peaceful over there. So that happens late into the night. But what happens Friday, and I'm I'm gonna go very, very quickly through this. Jesus is arrested early in the morning in the wee hours of the morning they, are, they arrest him, they take him into custody, he is condemned by the Sanhedrin and Caiaphas the Jewish high priest then we have early in the morning Peter denying Jesus three times and like I said all of the twelve minus dirtbag Judas all forsook him and fled. Jesus is sentenced to death. Then we have On Friday, Judas commits suicide. His guilt, possibly driven by demonic possession, we don't know. But he ends his own life that Friday. And I'm doing a very, very quick uh, coverage of this. But again, I encourage you as a family to read through this this week. Jesus sentence to death, the, the Roman form of torture and humiliation. Let's not forget that. It wasn't just to torture him, it was to humiliate him. They referred to him as the king of the Jews. In fact, they even nailed a sign above where his head would be on that cross that translated the king of the Jews. They hung him on that cross around noon. And then it says... Darkness covered the entire land for those three hours. Then at 3 p.m., he dies. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then Matthew's gospel says two things happened. Number one, there was a giant earthquake at his, the point of his death. There's a giant earthquake to where everybody starts kind of freaking out like, oh, no, what did we do? Well, you're about to find out. The other thing that happened is the veil in the temple. Again, starting inward and and kind of going outward, you have the holy of holies. That's where, on a rotation, only certain priests could be in the presence of God. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. They could only go in at certain, certain times. That's where the presence of God was. There was a huge veil that prevented people from going in or getting the presence of God out. How big was that? I'm glad you guys asked. The historian Josephus, do you guys know who Josephus is? If not, I encourage you to to look at some of his writings. He was a Jewish historian around this time. He was a good note taker and observer. He says the veil of this temple that was torn was 60 feet wide and four inches thick. Now, I don't care how many guys you have trying to rip that thing into, it cannot be done. Yet, God did. The earthquake did not cause this. The Lord himself ripped the veil in two. Now, the reason this is so important to you and I is because under the old covenant, the old covenant, only the priests could be in the presence of God, and then they would essentially kind of translate that to the people. Now, I'm not talking about prophets. I'm not talking about kings under divine inspiration. I'm talking about the religious people of the time. They said, you want to talk to God, you talk to me first. And there are some uh, religions today that are still that way. But what this represents visually, what this means to us is that that veil in between God and man was now severed completely. Meaning we now have free access to the Father through Jesus Christ. We don't have to go through a mediator. You don't have to come to talk to Tom to pray to the Lord. Sorry, Tom, we're cutting you out as middleman. It is between you and the Lord. There is no metaphorical veil between you and God now. It is you and him. Finally, what happened is he is buried in the tomb which was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. He was put in to the tomb. And you may be thinking, okay, well, that's Friday, that's Sunday. How does that math work? Very quickly, I'm going to tell you. He was in the ground before the Shabbat begins or the Sabbath. So he was put in the ground before 6 p.m. on Friday. That counts as one 24-hour period. Even that last little part, that counts as 24. So Friday at 6 p.m. till Saturday at 6 p.m. is one 24-hour period. That's day number two. But then after 6 p.m. into Sunday that is day number three. Now all of this is to lead up to what is gonna happen next. At the end of that third day something radical is going to change the course of human history. A movement to make His saving grace known to everyone on this earth will begin that day. And guess what? It continues today. March 28th, 2021. We are still doing the same work that started this day. We are all part of this movement Called Christianity our job is to make Jesus Christ and his sacrifice known to everyone that we come in contact with amen the king has arrived he rode into town as prophesied and said I am the Messiah I am The one who brings salvation not the law not your interpretation of the law but me and my sacrifice that's what jesus was saying he was the perfect lamb of god is the perfect lamb of god he was that perfect substitutionary atonement very fancy word he had to die according to god's divine plan Jesus came, he taught, and he taught, and he taught. Look at just the events of what happened during Holy Week. The things that he taught, the depth of what he was teaching during this week still baffle most people. It is so deep and so so, uh, concentrated. But the king had arrived. And next Sunday, what we're going to do is we are going to celebrate the work of, that he did here on this earth by the power of the resurrection. Because without the resurrection, none of this would be possible. Him as the Lord being resurrected and being seated at the right hand of the Father is what makes Christianity, Christianity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the events from your word that show us the life of our Lord, the importance of our King. As prophesied in the Old Testament, he came to fulfill each and every one of those. Father, we thank you for this. This week, as we go out, Lord, we want to keep at the forefront of our minds the things of God. That we want to celebrate everything that he did and truly worship him by studying your word and father we want to do so as a family we want to truly relish in what your word tells us about what our lord did and father next sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of jesus christ lord leading up to this we just ask that you bring to remembrance us that we can take a pause and really truly appreciate the work of jesus christ Lord, we just say thank you for these things. We love you with all of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tauntytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.